welcome to Podcast on Fire on the Storm Riders and goodbye Mr. Cool. And after chopping away on the mean streets of Hong Kong for director Andrew Lau, Yikin Cheng took the leap onto the big green screen for the same director, while still continuing the trend of appearing in comic book adaptations. And uh, this all occurred for the 1998 Wuxia film The Storm Riders. Also, an adult triad-punk tries to do good in Jingle Ma's Goodbye, Mr. Cool. I'm Kenny B. with me for the second installment of the Ikin Hour, where we watch nine films featuring the actor and determine whether the actor is Ikin, which is good, or Aiken, which is bad. And uh, the, with me is the Eastern Film Fans head honcho Phil G. So say hi and uh, welcome back to the second installment, Phil. Yeah, hi everyone. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've got a, um, an Aiken and an Aiken to do more, see more. So uh, yeah, it's, um, I'm enjoying the journey so far. We'll see what we make of the next two, but you know, it's good to be back. Thank you. So far, it's uh, one all after uh, Return to a Better Tomorrow got our uh, Ekin stamp of approval and feel 100% got our wrath. Big time wrath. Indeed. <laughs> lots, lots. Of we felt 100% Aiken towards, mm. towards that. Uh, also with us, because I wasn't about to deny him uh, the, uh, not the ability, but uh, the opportunity. He can, he, he can talk whenever he likes, but I didn't want to uh, exclude him out of the coverage of storm riders because he he's expressed uh, a warmth and positivity and love and admiration for it and uh, that is and an Egan, of course in the in the same uh, breath and uh, that person is paul fox of the east screen west screen podcast who is better by the way wind and or cloud oh wow uh <laughs> i think i've got to be on team wind uh mm. all the way interesting interesting well uh, you, you gotta either join the blue team or the uh, whatever whatever you can represents in the, in in this case hey quick uh, quick uh, quiz and uh, and uh, if you can look back on the return to a better tomorrow and feel 100% is the return to a better tomorrow would that be in your eyes paul ekin or ekin if you remember the movie Oh, wow. Uh, it's been so long since I've seen it, and there are so many similar films that confuse me. <laughs> well, um, well, 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 Wong Jing did a heroic bloodshed movie without any originality as such, and shamelessly named it Return to a Better Tomorrow. Your friend Kevin Ma informed us that the Chinese title is New, A Better Tomorrow. So it, it's all, it's ripping off everything, but it's actually enjoyable, and Ekin was, uh, d- despite being 12 years old, is quite enjoyable doing heroic bloodshed, so that was our determination uh, back in the Is day. that the one with Michael Wong as yes, well? Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah, yes. so I, I've, got, I've got, got to give it a thumbs up. It's I mean, uh, where, he, uh, hu- where he hulks yeah. out, he uh, rips off his shirt and fights Nai Sing, which is the most unrealistic fighting concept ever. Because yeah. uh, Nai Sing is a badass, and Michael Wong is great, but he isn't a badass versus Nai Sing. Uh, what about feel 100% because you, you're into the comic book adaptations you have a certain you know you, you, you like the trivia surrounding them and you like to explore them for, for better or worse because you, you can recognize that some movies are good some movies are bad but you, you like the idea of uh, comic book adaptations going on in Hong Kong so what's the memory and uh, uh, the feel for feel 100% uh, yeah it's just a terrible adaptation <laughs> it's not a bad movie overall the first one and there's, you know, some some humorous moments to be had, especially from Ericot. But as a comic adaptation, it's just totally miscast. See, Paul, we could have done with you on that, Gat, because <laughs> you just summed it up in just one foul sentence, a terrible adaptation. If we just said that, Ken, we could have just saved the listeners a whole lot of waffle about how poor it was. To be fair, I think he nailed it. He don't nailed don't it. deny me the opportunity to waffle. That's all I've got, <laughs> man. That's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be able to talk with someone. 
I know, sorry. It, it is a perceived Sorry. friendship, so I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, you know, just like that movie, perceived friendship. Like uh, you can't buy that friendship for uh, yeah. for. But but my my question was that therefore did did you pursue the the comic book because it, because it got a a translation of sorts in into English, uh, Paul? So it was feel hundred percent like the comic book, just wildly higher in quality. Versus the movie. Well, if you like that kind of story and art, I mean, it's it's definitely geared more towards a female audience, I would say, um, for the most part, in terms of some of the art direction and style. Um, it's borrowing heavily from certain genres of, of Japanese manga, to be sure. But I guess there's a male audience as well because of some, you know, because it's it's a mixed thing. You've got the two male leads and you've got two... Uh, female leads and among other women in the comics who, you know, end up drawing attention. But it was never one that I I saw. I, I got a couple of the Chinese comics over the years, you know, just to kind of look through and admire the art. The stories never really pulled me in enough to to want to keep up with it. I, I was too much over and with with uh, Japanese stuff at the time. Very cool. Well, we'll we'll get to it because uh, the Storm Riders, as I said, is another comic book adaptation. It's it's sort of a, a run of uh, director Andrew Lau and star Ikin Chang's. That's what they did together. I don't know if even um, the Legend of Speed was one such a- adaptation, or was that a complete uh, start from scratch movie concept? Uh, do you remember that, Paul? I I don't know about that one. I do know there was a. I think he did a basketball one, the Let's Go Slam Dunk, which was also a manga adaptation. Yeah, that was uh, earlier, so he dipped his toe into into that for sure. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, let's do some brief contact information uh, first of all, and uh, let me throw over to my honorary co-hosts and co-producers. So Phil, uh, plug away what's going on at uh, easternfilmfans.co.uk here in uh, Big Old 2019. Uh, lots of stuff. We've, we, we've got a little collaboration going on as well, haven't we? We did uh, a little interview recently, which was uh, which was good. Um, and I've got some irons in the fire. So we've got the uh, uh, Fighting Spirit Film Festival coming soon. Are you going out with your camera to bother, bother people? I mean, interview people? I think so. I'm going to shove my camera in Scott Adkins' face again if he turns up. You never know. He might be there again. Um, or other, other celebrities who like having cameras shoved in their faces. Um, I think they have to do it because it's promotional. So it's great for me because they've got no choice. Uh, and they have to be nice to me as well, which is also good. Um, so I've just reviewed, um, or it'll be out there now, um, Scott's, well, it's not Scott's new film, it's Tony Yar's Eco Oasis Triple Threat that's just come out. Um, Jesse V. Johnson uh, knocks it out of the park again from a, um, uh action um, fight fest point of view. Um, great cast. Um, check that out. The, uh, the review is now live and in effect. And, yeah, so lots of irons in the fire, as it always is. You've got to keep busy. And we'll see what happens as the, the year goes on. Um, and, obviously, I'm putting together the um, 100 Greatest Eastern Films, um, which um, by now um, that would have closed. Um, obviously, I think we had this conversation about a year ago, so it's about time I closed it. So by this time it would have closed, and I'll be compiling those. So that's 100 reviews to get through. So it'll probably be this time next year. Um, whenever this one comes out, that that should be ready for uh, everybody else. So maybe it won't be 2019. I'm not going to kid myself. 
there's a lot to get through, but I'm looking forward to the challenge. So, yeah, lots on the horizon. Excellent. And throw out a little uh, website URL to the World Wide Web that you can cyberspace surf to. So, where are you on the web, Phil? <laughs> yes, so, uh, uk. Excellent. All social media links available in the show post as well. So, go visit Phil and all his endeavors. And he's uh, doing uh, doing great work as well because he's, uh, he's you know, uh, going out and uh, not just writing uh, like uh, like this this schmuck here he's just <laughs> sitting by his keyboard and writing because uh, there's n- there's nothing like the those festivals near me so i'll have to be content with uh, what i have but uh, good on you phil it's, uh, it's always cool that you branch out uh paul there let's uh, plug your podcast uh, people should know but if they don't know what's the uh, what's the mission statement for the east screen west screen podcast or the structure of uh, the show yeah, well, we talk about contemporary films when we can uh, from Hong Kong and uh, other places as well. Uh, we try to focus on Asia whenever possible. Um, but my love and my passion is Hong Kong and China cinema. So that's what I tend to gravitate towards. And my good partner, Kevin, uh, who when he's available because he's off around the world jet setting, he just wrapped up uh, some big festival, I think, over there in your neck of the woods called Cinemasia. It was I think in it was in Belgium, possibly. Yeah. Amsterdam or somewhere over there. Yeah, I don't Belgium, know. Holland. And uh, so yeah, he's uh, he's off, uh, you know, rubbing shoulders with the bigwigs, and I'm uh, just here doing a little podcast. That's it. Hey, 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 hey! hey. <laughs> no, just kidding, just kidding. Enough of the little, yeah. <laughs> this is the Ekin Hour, where we do where we do things 100% Ekin. I we review one of the movies that has 100% even name, but uh, it's all Ekin all the time for a couple of episodes, uh, regardless uh, here. So, uh, uh, but for the rest of it, uh, of course, it's Comcast.com, of, of course, for uh, all uh, your East Screen West Screen uh, podcast needs. And uh, I do hope uh, because I, I like I, I like you and I like when you work. And I like when I get to talk to, to you about stuff. I do hope uh, there will be some kind of version of uh, Hollywood on uh, Hollywood uh, on Hong Kong again because I greatly enjoyed both participating, but also greatly enjoyed the way you structured that series of uh, Hollywood movies or European movies shooting in Hong Kong and therefore uh, having a peek at uh, Hong Kong from their perspective. So I hope there's uh, further adventures in that vein but certainly no pressure i just wanted to say that i greatly enjoyed it and thank you for inviting me on to it yes and thank you for being there it was a, a good time was had by all to be sure all right yeah and for all your uh, the rest of the podcast on fire network needs uh, let's just keep it short for now uh, go to podcast on fire.com there there's a big old archive of uh, shows uh, the Anchor Show podcast on fire but we have other shows as well as you can see by the menu on the right hand side social media links are available at the top of the website or in the show post you all know that by now so let's uh, just get into it but uh, that's what we're going to do after musical break we're going to talk Storm Riders from 1998 and some background on the comic book yeah, at the best of my abilities I'm going to deliver that but I'm sure Paul has some uh, first hand knowledge uh, being more uh, connected and more of a fan of uh, comic books than I certainly am so uh, we'll uh, check it out it's going to be uh, fun to uh, to listen to uh, another perspective and uh, we'll be right back to deliver this uh, discussion and review for you
and welcome back and the first review of this Ikan Hour is The Storm Riders from 1998 and plot from the Love HK film review of the film Lord Conquer played by Sonny Chiba the street fighter himself is the leader of the Conqueror's clan and seeks supremacy in the world of martial arts Prophet Mad Buddha played by Wayne Lai tells Lord Conquer his future prosperity is dependent on two young children Wind and Cloud and promises to reveal more in 10 years time Conquer conducts a search for the two children and in order to retain them he murders their parents. Ten years later the two have grown into the chief lieutenants of uh, the clan. Wind, Ikin Cheng, is a kind warrior who possesses the powerful wind kicks. Cloud, played by Aaron Kwok, is a brooding introvert whose cloud palms allow him to utilize liquid as a weapon. Lord Conquer seeks to find the mud Buddha again after ten years to reveal the second half of his initial prophecy. It's only then that Lord Conquer discovers that destiny provides for wind and cloud to make him and break him. So they're, they're dangerous components now, these children. Uh, Conquer pits the two versus uh, one another via his daughter, Charity, played by Christy Jung, who just so happens to like both our canto pop stars. But as destiny would have it, Lord Conquer's plan to do in his two disciples goes wrong, and before too long he must contend with both of them. Uh, but uh, we'll get to the movie. Some background, first of all. This is based on the comic book or comic series, because the, uh, the, the Chinese term is uh, manhua. So I don't know if they if that literally means, you know, uh, book or series, but whatever. And it's called Fung Wan, uh, which is translated as Wind and Cloud, after its main characters. It was created by Ma Wing Xing in 1989, and it enjoyed several story arcs uh, featuring these main characters. But uh, as these things go, I suppose, the universe expanded, and Wind and Cloud were pushed to the side to become secondary characters and the man manhua was retitled to tinha which apparently translates to under heaven and uh, maybe paul will know how complete the english translation by comics one uh, of storm rider was but it was put out in english um, in the 12 volumes and then a further six as uh, storm riders 2 invading sun uh, came onto the came onto the scene and uh, and uh, did you remember picking up this version of uh, storm riders therefore in english or were you flicking through any chinese language um, uh, editions first before you got to the english one i looked through a couple editions of storm riders but i never got into um, reading it especially later when the english translations came out because years earlier Let's let's set the Wayback Machine to the 1980s. I had been a big fan of the then um, U.S. released Jade Man comics, uh, which you know I don't want to get too far into the the sort of deep deep history of of Chinese comics, but um, basically you have this figure known as Tony Wong, um, who is basically like the Stan Lee of Hong Kong comics, um, and and I use that moniker and both positive and negative ways, because there was some negativity around Stanley, and there's quite a bit of negativity around uh, Tony Wong himself, basically, you know, basically claiming uh, the work of other people. But he established Jade Man Comics. He created, uh, his legacy was built upon uh, the Oriental Heroes title, which people will know from the film universe as Dragon Tiger Gate, right? Um, and so that was sort of he, that in the seventies, that's the title he created the sort of ultra violent martial arts comic rose to great popularity, made a fortune, got to schmooze with, you know, lots of Hong Kong celebrities from this era. 
Um, you know, and and like I said, basically a very much a Stan Lee type personality. Under him, he started grooming lots of other artists and expanding his empire. One such artist was uh, Lam Wing Xing, who is the creator of a series that I was reading at the time called The Blood Sword, which film fans will know got made into a movie called A Man Called Hero, also starring, you guessed it, Noodles. Eakin. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I was a big fan of The Blood Sword, and this was a series that um, was released in the U.S. under Jade Man Comics. And they broke it up and, you know, the, un, under sort of Tony Wong's direction, they broke it up and they retitled it. And actually, Tony Wong put his name on it rather than <clears throat> Alain Wing Xing's name. Uh, again, a bit more of the controversy. They took out some of the, you know, anti-foreigner, anti-Westerner references, I think, that are in the original Chinese comic because they're trying to sell it to, to a Western audience. Uh, and I was a big fan of, of that series. And then ultimately later what ends up happening is that Ma Wingxing leaves Jade Man um, about the time that he starts, you know, getting really popular with the Stormriders run and goes off. I think he forms his own company at that point and becomes a, a really big success. So in some ways, if you're familiar with comics in history in, in the U.S. where you've got people like uh, Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee breaking off from the big properties like Marvel and DC and going and forming their own comic companies with image comics and things like that, you know, and, and making big names for themselves as well as independents. It's a, it's a similar kind of story. So, but, uh, you know, what I have seen through with the Stormwriters comic, it's very, very similar in terms of the kind of storytelling it's doing with the uh, Blood Sword series or the Man Called Hero series in that it's lots and lots of characters coming in, lots of betrayals, lots of, you know, twists and turns and overly long story arcs. So just to put it into perspective, the characters we're going to talk about here, Wind and Cloud, in the course of the storytelling, they get married uh, a few times. They have kids with different characters. The kids grow up at certain points, you know, and, and become full-fledged characters of their own. So this is this is the kind of storytelling that goes on in, in these sort of very long-form, almost TV drama-like, uh, episodic. Even though the structure of a Hong Kong comic is very similar to a U.S. comic in terms of the actual dimension size, the number of pages, their color pages, compared with Japanese manga, which tend to be, if you're familiar, the smaller books that are longer, but they're black and white. So uh, were you into collecting uh, in the Blood Sword only, or did you go about like t trying to collect something out of Stormriders, if not everything? No, I, I pretty much stuck with Blood Sword, and then uh, Tony Wong, his company got in trouble, and they they cut the run, and I was kind of miffed because you know they they never ended it, and that put me off of Japanese or Chinese comics for a while because of that, and I kind of just more fully immersed myself. In Japanese manga by that point. Very cool. Well, uh, go, going back to the um, English translation by Comics One, uh, that company are reportedly now defunct. So I'm not sure if that run is uh, super rare and goes for goes for inflated prices nowadays. So you know, is seen as collectible a collectible run or anything, but. Um, because uh, I'm sure in the comic book world, if uh, as with anything, if something is rare, it's going to inflate and inflate and inflate. So uh, maybe that happens with Chinese comics as well, as far as you know, Paul. 
Some of them, I mean, I looked at some of the prices and the collected volumes, and they're still pretty reasonable. Um, you, you can find, if you really just want to read them, you can find, you know, used versions. I think like a, a new version of the first volume is pretty pricey, but if you're just somebody who wants to get through the stories, um, you can find a used version for a pretty reasonable price. Okay, and, and, and that is reasonable, and reasonable indeed and uh, rational because uh, you'd want people to be able to approach and uh, not pay out of their butt uh, in order to uh, you know, test it and sample it. So that, that's very good. A, a spin-off of uh, Feng Wan called uh, Shen Wuxi involving descendants of its main characters uh, was uh, also written by creator Ma Wingxing but didn't achieve as uh, great uh, popularity. So I might as well throw, throw out that question. Did you pursue that or you were done by that point when Shen Wuji? No, I was, yeah, I was, I was kind of out of the, the Chinese comic scene at that point. Going back to the movie and uh, the property, really, it was expanded uh, media-wise and made in, into a feature movie. And it is our feature review of this episode, 1998's The Storm Riders. Starring Ikin as Wind and Aaron Kwok as Cloud, along with uh, Japanese superstar, the street fighter himself, Sonny Chiba. Andrew Lau's uh, movie, uh, it was a sizable summer hit at the time, uh, raking in over 40 million Hong Kong dollars at the local box office. It was nominated for both uh, some main awards, but also some technical ones, expectedly because it's a technical achievement uh, at the Hong Kong Film Awards and walked home with statues for editing, costume and makeup design, sound design and music. It also picked up two Golden Horse Awards in Taiwan, including for visual effects, uh, which is appropriate again. And uh, so they they were probably proud of that, that their technical crew got uh, recognized. Uh, further media adaptations uh, happened in the wake of this, of course, but uh, it happened a while uh, later. And this included an animated 2008 film directed by Dante Lam, uh, the director of Operation Red Sea. We also had the Storm Riders sequel in 2009 called The Storm Warriors, directed by the Pang Brothers. There was also two sets of Taiwanese TV series, Wind and Cloud 1 and 2. Creative. Uh, starring uh, Peter Ho as Cloud and Vincent Chow as Wind. And just to throw out, too, um, Sonny Chiba is in those, reprising his role as Conqueror. In the TV series? Yes. Oh, that's cool. You, you, you can get Sonny Chiba for anything. He's even in that super normal free <laughs> fa- fake documentary that you talked about on this week. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I mean, I, like, is he bored? Like, if Hong Kong calls, I'll be there. I'm Sonny Chiba. He's awesome, though, so I'm, I'm, I'm not complaining, yeah. so there, there it is. And to some extent, the fantasy world uh, uh, of, uh, you know, of Storm Riders Fung One enjoys popularity as a massive multiplayer online role-playing game, but that's totally out of my wheelhouse. I had to look up the term that they said that Storm Riders is a morph-something. You know, and what, and, you know what does that mean? So I had to look out oh, that it's a mass, yeah, massive yeah. multiplayer online role playing game, but again, it's it's uh, it's not my genre of gaming. Uh, regardless, I don't know if there, there's a quality uh, there, there's quality if that has a hold on, you know, Asia like World of Warcraft uh, does. I don't know. So, um, but you know about the TV series, so and uh, obviously the animated movie, Paul, and the, the live action sequel. So, uh, did you keep up with everything, or you stuck to the movies by that point? Uh, well, I stuck to the to the movies. I never really got into the TV series um, version of it, though. I'm wondering how, if it sticks more closely with um, events in the comics than uh, any of the movies do, because the movies are so condensed. A lot of characters are cut out. Some characters are changed. If you put the three movies together, 
it's still a somewhat cohesive trilogy arc, even though some things don't line up. Um, but uh, do be aware, listeners, that uh, if you want to see it, you've got to watch the Pang movie second, and then the Dante Lam animation, which came out, I think, a year earlier, third. That's that's sort of the concluding part. So Cool. That, that's your background. Let's uh, move into a story. So uh, let's move over to Phil. I don't know if you ever picked this up because it had UK distribution back in the day. But uh, regardless, uh, in short, um, uh, what did you think of Storm Riders? Uh, it was a revisit for me because it's been a while. And I did say that when I picked it up. Um, but in actual fact, I quite enjoyed it. I, I, I was... I was I had this feeling I probably would have got rid of it because I thought, no, I didn't quite enjoy it. And it is disjointed to some extent. But you know what? It's an enjoyable ride. It can be a bit convoluted. And we're coming back to what Paul said. You know, I was a fan of the Jademan comics, especially, but more the Oriental heroes, that side of it, rather than the, the sword fighting. I was never keen on the sword fighting kind of thing, concepts. It was more grounded in, you know, the martial arts and stuff and that side of it. I think Storm Riders was a pleasant surprise for me. Very cool. Well, we'll get back to you. Let's uh, move over to Paul. Paul, who certainly has revisited this a couple of times over the years because it's a, it's a go-to movie, maybe a comfort type of viewing, despite um, it's a two-hour investment, um, two-hour ten uh, investment. So in short, uh, regardless, uh, what do you want to say about Storm Riders, Paul? Yeah, this was one for me that kind of knocked my socks off uh, back when I saw it uh, you know, in the late 90s. For me, it was very much akin to what Soy Hark had done with Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain in that it kind of represented a shift in effects and what they were doing with special effects in, in Hong Kong cinema from the sort of fantasy wuxia martial arts films that had come up before then through the, the early and mid-90s which were still very much following the Zoe Hark style of practical effects and wire work and color tone and that kind of thing. So I was, again, not having a deep familiarity with the Stormwriters characters or the stories. It was fairly fresh for me. Um, it would, it would, I guess the equivalent would be like, you know, if you sat down and you watched the Avengers movie without having seen the Iron Mans and, and a lot of the other stuff building up to it, you'd still probably find it somewhat enjoyable even without a lot of the background but if you were a heavy fan of the comic and you saw uh, a lot of the changes that were made a lot of the character shifts that were made you probably came out of it quite unhappy and and that's basically kind of the word on the street that i heard later was that a lot of the real fans of the comics were not very happy with the shortcuts but i was happy with just the sheer look and the visual aesthetic of it and I was very excited about things to come, especially because I thought, well, great, they're going to make a, a blood sword movie and it's going to be even better because it's going to come out after this. And I was wrong. Oh, ouch. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so there's that. For me, uh, I, I think I'm coming at this with a little bit of a ba- uh, with a little bit of baggage. Um, the baggage is not that I'm familiar with the comic because, uh, as I've established, it's not really my world. I'm a comic strip guy because my attention span is is uh, nil essentially. So, so co- comic strips works for me like three panels and I'm out. <laughs> Also, I'm not a big fan of the director, Andrew Lau, so that, that's my baggage. The Storm Riders is visually impressive, and it isn't terribly dated effects-wise. I think whenever you set something in the fantasy world of this kind, 
you you get away with a lot of things feeling pasted in they're not trying to replicate reality anyway so you know even the big dragon i have no problem with the big dragon fight in this one because I mean, it's fantasy I, I i can gel with that but i i don't know uh, maybe i'm spoiled with choi hak and the uh, shaw brothers uh, people doing all those frenzied wuxia pictures in the wake of sue uh, you know bastard swordsman uh, holy flame of the martial world uh, and so i i decided i, I guess that energy out of the fantasy spectacle and i i think i got only a mild sort of frenzied fantasy hit and i didn't feel much energy out of the um, sights and sounds of this um, uh, of this story it, it, it it's okay it, it, it's a decent watch despite the length and all of that but uh, de- therefore our uh, our boy ikin and our boy in blue aaron they they therefore don't elevate or break out as such as these uh these heroes or as actors and uh and and it's hard for me to give Ikin a pause therefore because there's nothing here that screams star power elevating this movie ever so slightly he's not terrible he's not unlikable but there's nothing really that elevates um that elevates matters here so uh, it, it, it's okay but uh, i think one person that just runs laps around everything in this movie is sonny chiba and that's one of the more enjoyable aspects of it because uh, he, he he's ready to play so certainly so doesn't look bored as he uh, as he uh, <laughs> as he acts in this he movie, does, uh, and he and, and and he gets the greatest dubber of all time because they they cranked the deep voice of him a lot. <laughs> the Cantonese dubber is gonna sound like this, and that that was enjoyable seeing Sunny Chiba break through as as yeah, a performer. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, I'm a little bit mad on it, and um, but uh, obviously no hatred for it. I just like my fantasy stuff to be Choi Hak weird. And I mean, I, I like Legend of Zoo, so obviously I'm a bit of a hypocrite because Le- Legend of Zoo is inexcusable in a way, but I, I like the noise. You know, I'm I'm, uh, I'm I'm weak for the noise, despite Legend of Zoo being a, a bigger mess than this. This is actually fully fully coherent, considering it's uh, uh, Wuxia and all of that, so... But uh, regardless, uh, let's get into it. Uh, we got the combo of uh, writer and director from the Young and Dangerous days um, uh, presenting this one, Andrew Lau and Manfred Wong. And uh, it, it's, it slightly sparks some concerns because I, I, I never thought Manfred Wong wrote a particularly compelling uh, universe as such uh, in the Young and Dangerous uh, in the Young and Dangerous space back in 1996. But uh, it, it gives us the opportunity to go from the gritty streets to something much more obviously epic and much more um, spacious uh, in terms of uh, visuals and all of that uh, and Andrew Lau's cinematography skills get to play much more here because you got an active camera sweeping through scenes and uh, locations and obviously costume design uh, costume design is uh, up there on elite level but for, for me one of my first sort of questions and that I got answered throughout the movie is that I, I lacked a little bit of personality and energy in the movie, but uh, maybe it's wrong for me to ask that of this and just, uh, you know, maybe should just enjoy it on a visual level. But I, I had that problem that, uh, that that it was a bit mild and kept building towards the good ending too slow. But um, again, it's it's very personal and uh, so certainly not, not something you should take to heart in actuality, that opinion. But le- le- let me go around the room a little. Uh, it's a long movie. So, uh, for instance, you feel, did you feel there was like, you know, enough spectacle and noise and story coherence they like spread out over the course of 130 minutes to keep your, your, your attention and the coherency level sort of intact? 
my opening shot is, you know, it, it's probably more enjoyable than I thought, but it doesn't make it a great movie. And it is convoluted in in some respects. So if you're a fan of the comics and you, and, you, and all that and stuff, there's a um, you get a headwind on it. And, and when I was harking back to the, the comics that I used to read, obviously I used to get them from the Chinese store. So they're in Chinese anyway, so I hadn't got a clue. I just, again, same as Paul, I admired the artwork. I loved it. It was great. You know, I'd try and draw it myself and stuff and end up with some kind of you know, spasmo stick man. Um, <laughs> Look, it's wind and cloud, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, wind and cloud in stick form. Oh, I've, I've still got them somewhere. They're, they're, they're around somewhere. So, but no, I, I wouldn't know. So going into the movie, yeah, if you if you just pick it up and, and see, it is somewhat convoluted. And you're right, absolutely. There's no really, you know, Aiken and and Aaron don't really break out and Sonny Chiba is the star of this because the villain is brilliant there's more ha, ha, I'm know, so glad he was in it that much I thought he was, he, there was going to be like a glorified sort of cameo uh, based on nothing but I'm glad that he he's the third lead yeah, he is the third lead is. and he's in it a lot he is exactly and he, and he does and he just shows up the you know the stars and stuff they're not given you know that much from looking pretty and, and the hair and stuff so you know but uh, yeah, it's just a bit. Yeah, it's a bit too long. It's a bit convoluted. They could have brought that story down, and it would have been much more enjoyable, I think. But like I say, I got some enjoyment out of it. But yeah, story wise, just too lengthy and um, too much. You, you know, you know, it's not uh, approaching like the complexity of the Shore Brothers Wuxia stuff that uh, yeah. Chuyun uh, directed and. Uh, and all, you know all those Gulong novels and Louis Chan novels. It's not at all as complex as those. Uh, this is simplified. Uh, thankfully, I just thought that it was too much of a mild build-up and not enough uh, cool noise to get sort of my primal nature going. Meaning like cool, like colors, and it says whoosh all over the screen here. Wow, wow, wow! <laughs> and Choi Hak sort of gets me going that way. But again, it's maybe unfair to compare. Regardless, uh, uh, for you, Paul, uh, did, did did you think they crammed? Too much in here, or they 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 set the running time sort of, and then uh, had a sort of uh, a to- uh, and and performed the task of making it coherent enough. Or what did you think of in terms of storytelling, if you will? Well, I think it's kind of both because at certain times they're like you know doing what a lot of times these when they do these as films tend to do is because again you you talked about sort of like Lewis Cha stuff where over the period of novels or the, over the period of TV series, they will introduce characters and those supporting characters will have longer arcs and you'll get a chance to know them more and understand their relevance to an overall story. Where here it's just like, oh, they show up at this place and here's a subtitle about who these people are. And you don't see them again because, you know, it's like you blink and you miss it kind of a kind of an idea. And unfortunately, there's a little bit too much of that here, I think. But at the same time, they're simplifying other things that, again, I think really irritated people who read the comic and, and knew some of the complexity. But isn't that a trade-off, really? I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a sort of it uh, yeah. lose-lose you know. situation, if you will. Like, you, 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 can't please, you can't please anyone and you're making a two-hour film, not a 20-hour yeah. film. And, and in some cases, it comes off better, and in some cases, it comes off worse. I think, it, you know, perhaps... Uh, an apt comparison might be something like the Harry Potter movies versus the Harry Potter books where, you know, they have such great, interesting supporting characters that just get the ax when it comes to the film, because you've only got two hours and you've got to give, you know, the spotlight to Harry and, and his crew. And that takes away from 
some of the other more interesting, you know, uh, supporting characters in their arcs. For sure, and and um, but but for for me as a new viewer, I appreciated. I I, I got to um, appreciate where 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 we were, you know, considering considering it's Wuxia. I appreciated where we were in the story. The, the only character that I felt like, well, maybe he's crucial, but it doesn't seem like it is uh, is uh, Anthony Wong's uh, Grandpa Jesus uh, character who has two scenes and. Uh, you know, one middle of the movie, one end of the movie, that's that, and that's that. And it seems like such an important character. Well, that that was bound to happen. I guess they spoke of it at some point in the movie, his destiny and the whole story. But uh, it, that, that really was one that uh, was introduced quickly and then entered quickly again. And then a big thing happened that was very, very important for this story and universe. So uh, that was one of the elements where I scratched my head a little bit. Uh, one advantage is the fact that uh, this isn't, like, like Legend of Zoo, this isn't all a, a blue and green screen movie. They really find uh, and create also some convincing architecture, but also are on actual locations, which is good for the feel of this world, that it feels physical. It isn't just a, a, a manufactured uh, blue screen thing like, like Choi Hak uh, likes to do. And, and and also characters seems to want to be on the outskirts of the world, especially in terms of where they steer, what they steer their children towards. I.e. when Wind and Cloud are young, there, there is that element of they, they don't want to hurl them into the martial world because the martial world has provided hurt and tragedy, which is a classic trope and a good idea, I think. Um, and uh, we got a, actually a very nice cameo from Yurong Guang in that regard, which helped sort of humanize this world a little bit. I always appreciate that, that uh, there, there is some depth to these uh, sword play characters and not just, you know, as Paul said, characters that enter and, you know, out of the blue, say who they are and everybody goes, oh my God, it's you. And we don't know anything. It's just a mess for us. At least, you know, there's some actual depth and humanity here. And there, there's a big old flashback structure to to the first uh, 20 30 minutes and as we get the uh the sunny chiba character how how his sort of uh, story plays into uh the past of uh, other people's stories so that's where i thought uh, it, it had a strong sort of um sense of or mission of uh, okay we're gonna build it slowly and in a coherent way but but i didn't think the visuals were exciting as they did so there, there, there's some i don't know way too ambitious special effects imagery especially in the flashback uh, where uh, where essentially the characters go from from the actors to cg puppets and uh, as andrew lau was experimenting with how to depict the wuxia powers and all of that but for for me i, I don't know how you guys felt but for for me when it was 100 percent artificial i was taken out of the movie but when they have elements around the actors cg elements around the actors it's a little bit more um uh, you know you can you can absorb that a little bit more you know so so if we go back to, to you phil uh how do you work in that god like uh, do, do you like things even in a movie like this to be more physical and real and in real locations or were you sort of on board with the flashy visuals that requires even full cg shots of uh, sunny sunny chiba flying around and stuff oh no i don't I, I see i don't like it i don't like it i appreciate it though so if we look at when the film was released and when it was uh, um, uh, and what it did, it was at the time 
a big blockbuster and an epic and, you know, and look at the effects and everything else. And I get that for the time and stuff. It doesn't wear so well today and stuff when you look at it and what the capability of, but I understand it. And, you know, it would have been a, a, a kind of a wow back then to a certain extent, but I was, I'm never keen on the flying around, you know, as soon as they're, you know, flying all over the gaff and stuff, it just puts me right off. But that's just, that's just me. I like things more grounded. But, you know, there are exceptions to the rule, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I enjoyed and stuff. So there are exceptions, but I'm not overly keen on it. So therefore, I have to try and find some other enjoyment from it and, and try and, you know, with the characters and invest in those. But, you know, I'm, I'm not one for the uh, flying all over the place. It just doesn't. Because later sequences does involve, like, it, it's there. It, it's shot yeah. right there and they surround the, the actual actors with effects that way. So, yeah, so, in, yeah, our, exactly. so in other sections, there are... They, they are they, they are the full full actors in full view only they they, they are surrounded by elements i think that works better for me yeah yeah absolutely 100 i totally agree you know and, and and i can live with that and i understand that but yeah um i'm very much uh you know grounded every time to a certain extent so but you know it's to their own and, and i appreciate you are grounded that, so. phil you're grounded yeah, i know I'm you're grounded <laughs> Uh, what about you, Paul? Do you think Andrew Lau's visual experimentation is better when he goes full CG or when he mixed, mixes uh, actors and uh, CG elements around them and things like that? No, I prefer the mix because, you know, I think and what ends up happening is after this, you know, sort of the experimentation, they start to go really overboard. You see that in uh, some of what they do in A Man Called Hero and also in um, uh, Legend of Zoo. Where I, for me, I, like you were saying, I really appreciate the fact that they've got them out on real locations for a lot of it on real settings. Not a lot of them felt like added, uh, you know, woods and mountains and things. I think they they found some vistas to, some actual vistas to play in, it looked like. Yeah. And for me, I appreciate that a bit more than just throwing the actors on a soundstage and just putting everything in digitally, even though they can make it especially in today's standards you know they can still they can make it look really real in some cases and a lot of times what ends up happening is that the lighting may be off and you can still see that they're kind of in an unreal environment and you know it just kind of pulls you out for a few seconds i I think the better example and what when the movie poked up for me is in the action scene that uh, takes place out in daylight at the river there's rocks and stuff and and we see uh, Roy Chung introduced for instance as yep. the uh, Shaolin monk or Buddhist monk and he starts shooting uh, little little um, energy pellets out of him which, which which is cool in itself and Roy looks cool but I really think the effects work that holds up the best is when Michael Che essentially uh you know, boxes people and they turn into ice, uh, you know, whenever he touches them. So he just flies up in the air and just whacks them in the face and they turn into ice right there. And that doesn't look like a big old switch to a CG puppet to me. That that looked like they essentially painted over the actual stuntman that uh, did that simple fall after Michael, uh, Michael fake punched them. And I, I thought that was a, a mixture that hasn't grown old in 20 years and again we 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 gotta it's cool it's cool as hell and it's it feels uh, physical and there and for for this world convincing Uh, other than the ending which i think reaches good heights uh, in terms of energy and pace and uh, big powers manifested that scene out in daylight so it's not very stylized really is a bit of a 
uh, trademark scene for, for the movie to see because we, we don't know of for, for instance michael's powers and to see him throw down like he does and everybody turns to ice was really really cool so that's uh, action direction on set that then the special effects crew take and uh, convey and uh, deliver it in the way they did so uh, that, that, that's probably my favorite action scene outside of uh, the ending that's my view in it all uh, any particular action beats you remember feel throughout the movie in that scene or not that really uh, took you by surprise or swept you away a little bit in this universe no, I, I enjoyed the ending when we got to the ending and stuff. There wasn't really that went, oh, yeah, great. It just it didn't, there wasn't anything there that stood out. I enjoyed the ending for what it was because I knew it was coming and I, I suppose I built myself up to that at that point and appreciated what the film was and what it was going to give. So not really kind of my bag, but I knew where it was going. I knew what it was going to be. I knew it was going to be a, a green screen fest and, and all that good stuff that comes with it. But, you know, and I enjoyed the ending of it, but nothing really kind of slapped me around the face and said, wow, that's, you know, that's, that's a standout moment right there. And I, like I say, I don't know whether that's just to do, you know, with the characters themselves and stuff and whether, you know, Ekin and Alan really just don't, you know, pop off the, the page for me. I mean, you 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 understand each respective, sort of plight and that's there yeah. but uh, I mean I've, I've given you obviously the, the big old hint that I'm not hot on this performance of, of Ekin but I'm, I was slightly conflicted because in a way this is what's what he's been given this is the visual he's going to be the visual representation and in a genre piece like that so I'm not requiring any Shakespearean moment but there is yeah. a sense of well Andrew Lau is elevating this to um, to the level I was hoping and uh, then the actors sort of uh, respond to what Andrew Lau is doing, which is, you know, it's 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 sort of average and okay, but not something where you go, he deserves a plus one point in this whole <laughs> in this whole tally that we're uh, that we're uh, collecting and all of that. So, uh, but but we'll uh, we'll get maybe to the actors a little bit more. Uh, for, for for you, Paul, any standout moments uh, in terms of uh, fight scenes and com- combination of. Uh, effects and how they manif- man you know how they manifest uh, energy balls and throw energy balls at each other what sort of uh, what got you going then what gets you going now when you watch the movie oh well, there's a couple of scenes the there's a waterfall scene where Aaron as a cloud is like training himself mm-hmm. and that he he does this like energy ball barrier effect which i thought was really cool for the time and as you mentioned, the river fight sequence, I think, is one of the best because of both the location and because of sort of the that they're going in with a very sort of limited approach, but very practical and, and powerful at the same time. I, I especially like the sequence where wind comes in and he like lands on top of Roy Chung and he just, you know, he does this like whirlwind move that mm-hmm. seems like it's something right out of Street Fighter. And he kind of just, you know, drills him into the ground. I think that's just really, really well done. Um, I agree. Late, later you get to the scene where the two of them kind of face off and it's it starts to get fast and frenetic. And it's not really great, but I for me it was one of the points where I said, yeah, they're really trying to get into the aesthetic of how the comic artists draw fight sequences. So I thought I, I really liked what they were trying to achieve. It looks a bit dated now, you know, looking back on it. And I think Eakin's fight with the fire Kieran for the time was really great. Um, you know, again, it's one of those things where because it's relying on the, the best CG of that time, 
it starts to look dated. But I still think that some of the action they have him doing basically against, you know, thin air and then having the animators time up with that action, it still holds up, you know, pretty, pretty well. I agree, and I didn't mind that sequence at all because it didn't feel horribly pasted in and you could see the outline of the dragon monster or whatever. And so I really appreciated that. I was worried because when they do a close-up of only the, the dragon's eyes, that looked awful. But when they reveal the whole that, that it's literally glowing and it's on fire, then there, there's that outline of it all. And it's the fantasy setting, so I was w- perfectly willing to go with it. And it, it, it's, a, it's a fun enough sequence, and obviously Eken has the advantage of uh, there's water in that cave. So that's, uh, that's how you solve matters versus a, a glowing opponent, if you will. In terms of act, acting here, I mean, it, it's not a movie that's reliant on acting, but it is reliant on a triangle of sorts. They're trying to create drama between wind and cloud. There's a girl in the middle, and there's a there's a puppet master at the top in the form of uh, Sonny Chiba's uh, character. And I think it's not a bad tri- triangle because we kind of root for the fact that that Ikin Cheng's character, he seems kind enough and willing enough to let Christy Jung's character, Charity, go. You know, he, he is willing to let go of that love in his life, which is, uh, he's a diplomat, he's kind. And uh, so so a little bit of personality comes uh, comes out of that. And uh, while Aaron Kwok's character is the anger and he's the, um, he's the brooding character, and that, without spoiling the movie, is going to be re-examined in a way. They both re-examine in uh, different parts of the world what they're about and uh, what they're truly fighting against. Because that comes through, it, it's okay. It's Wuxia, so I'm glad anything is coherent in Wuxia. And the actors respond to to that decently enough. What they're giving in this, given in this particular genre is okay. It's enough. It's not elevated stuff, but it's okay. It's enough. And the, the developments in terms of Aaron Kwok's character, and I don't want to spoil it because it's kind of neat, in terms of what happens to him as he um, takes refuge in the countryside, was uh, kind of neat because I didn't know what was going to go on and know what his um, upgrade, if you like, was going to be like. I was like, oh, cool. I like that. <laughs> that was unexpected. And uh, so we got some extra fun out of that. Uh, the movie offered up an idea that was uh, very colorful. I think Phil uh, touched upon the, the the actors reacting a little bit. So uh, let's throw it back to you, Paul. You know, is Egan and Aaron elevating stuff here? Or it's not their task to really stand out in any other way other than basically do the story but visually stand out or what's your take on that mixture i mean i guess at the time for me they were both okay but having again thumbed through a lot of the comics and seen the the animated third part i guess you call it you know it's like let me ask you ken could you see aaron kwok starring in a fist of north star movie as ken shiro he doesn't have the uh, toughness of that, I think. Yeah, no. I mean, because in the way I've seen the character drawn and the way he's drawn in, in the animated version, he, he's very much got that size and that presence. He, he's like a physically a Kenshiro-style character, whereas I think Wind is, you know, he's strong, but he's a bit more sleek, slim, and graceful by comparison. So I think whereas Eakin's performance, which really isn't asking for a lot as the wind character, you know, he's basically a Mr. Nice Guy for most of it, is is fine. I always had a problem with Aaron's physicality in, in a role that's supposed to be 
he he gets the brooding angry part right, but I'm I you know I just think that the physicality, the presence is off by a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still like I still like both of them. Yeah, and I've, I've always liked Aaron as a performer, regardless. Uh, obviously, especially when he when he went into more challenging, dramatic material. But he's uh, always been a fun performer, and this was you know uh, a little bit of a chuckle here and there because he's he's so so mad at the world and he's so blue. You know, literally blue. <laughs> so he goes out and just slashes and dices and slices and uh, and uh, before he uh, uh, finds a little bit of zen in his life, uh, as he finds uh, Shuke and uh, Vincent One, I suppose, uh, because uh, there, there are there are a lot of uh, recognizable faces across this uh, movie, which is fun. Some just appear for briefly, as I said, Anthony Wong as Grandpa Jesus. I don't know what he's called, but I'm going to call him Grandpa Jesus. Is there? Yeah. You, you can see Elvis Choi in the in the a little bit at the forefront of a scene or two at a wedding reception, but then he's um, standing in the background and uh, doing the Elvis Choi brooding, which is awesome. And a little bit of an, a gag there with his name because they call him the CD Sword. Yeah, I was about to say he's always <laughs> Elvis is always ready to go and he's always uh, ready to have um, sex in movies as well. So uh, he he looked like he was right out of that kind of movie. It can go either way. Elvis is going to have sex with something or fight something or just be broody and mm, Elvis, the king. Uh, but uh, let's uh, throw back a little bit to to Sonny Chiba. I don't know if he'd done a Hong Kong movie at this point, but regardless, they, it's um, it's a get for this movie. But what truly elevates it is the fact that Sonny Chiba is, uh, as I said, he's ready to play. And he feels right at home in the role of uh, of the puppet master here, the great big villain. He relishes the chance to try and go. It's almost like he has a little bit of knowledge of, you know, where do wuxia villains normally go? Do they stand out in any way? Or is it just a ha ha ha? Oh, and then they take off a mask or something and they, they're revealed to be someone else. And that's just a little bit of a giggle and a laugh of a genre, genre. but where can you go after that? Well, I'm a veteran. I, I can put in some effort. I can be bigger, I think. And uh, also show deceptive warmth, because it seems like he's got a heart a little bit uh, towards his daughter in, in some scenes. But regardless, that mixture, I think, was so compelling, because uh, it's not often when wuxia villains of this kind stands out, even when big-time actors are involved. So I think Chiba really wanted to play and uh, looked so comfortable and even had probably had fun internally doing, you know, obviously the uh, the pantomime acting that's required because obviously there's no there's no energy bolts above Sonny Chiba, even though I'd like to believe that the Street Fighter can conjure up such things. But no, obviously a lot of, uh, a lot of sh- shadow acting and fake acting has to go on. But I, I think he was uh, totally spot on and... Uh, had a lot of fun. It just looked the part. He was, you know, he was made for for this part, and uh, was a joy throughout. And uh, even though obviously we were not gonna get his real voice being a Japanese actor, but uh, it, it was funny and not distracting to me that uh, whoever they got to dub him uh, got a little bit of a little bit of an extra boost, bass wise. <laughs> I thought that was lovely. So, thoroughly enjoyed Chiba, and they even get a uh, cheeky little Street Fighter reference in one of the uh, fight scenes with with Aaron, which is way better, Paul, than when Andrew Lau ripped off a Better Tomorrow. Here he rips off Street Fighter, but in a way more clever manner. 
because they 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 set it in this universe and they do a little X-ray shot of uh, of uh, bones and things like that. So I thought that was enjoyable. That made me happy. What about you, Phil? Sunny Chiba, Yayane, and Storm Riders. You know, I said at the start, this is he was the highlight. He he hammed it up um, enough. Um, just the villainry was was terrific. He knew exactly, and I've always said that you always need a great villain. I mean, that makes a movie and stuff. He almost saves it. Um, just from just from he he looked like he was having so much fun with it, and I enjoyed it every time he was on the screen because he just he just brought that um, he just brought it he brought his A game to it and uh, he delivered and that, that's what you want from your villain and you know Sonny doesn't disappoint anyway um, in anything he does uh, I think you just stick him at that level he's he's great so um, he's definitely a standout for me in this movie and and again I was so glad that he he got to take part in so so much and not just. Yeah, yeah, stand there by his uh, throne. Uh, that reminded me of, I, 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 I had some visual cues way back in my head because it's been so long since I've seen it. But, but the throne that Sunny Chiba is sitting on looked like sort of the design work for the Fortress of Solitude in the in the Richard Donner Superman. It, it just reminded me of uh, some. some yes. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure yes. that wasn't it, but I, I pulled that from my my visual memory. When I was looking at it, it well, I thought there was something. It does. It does. You've nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Thank you. Uh, but so let, let, let's throw over to you, Paul. Uh, Sonny Chiba uh, must have stood out back in the day, too, when you saw him uh, uh, rock this movie. Yeah, it's just, I. <clears throat> it's unfortunate that he is dubbed, and I know why they dubbed him. And it's interesting, too, because I'm wondering, too, because it, it looks like if you turn the sound down in a few scenes and watch him watch his lips move, it looks like he's speaking his lines in English. So I could be wrong. I don't know if he does it all the time, but it'd be very interesting to hear like the original recording of him just, you know, acting in whatever language he was acting in uh, for the scenes as like, you know, a a deleted scenes or something. Uh, I think that'd be great. Uh, But yeah, he's he's a larger than life presence. He's perfect for the role, um, to be sure. And, you know, in in terms of some of the other things that they seem to have borrowed, you mentioned that uh, the character, the father of Cloud, you're wrong wrong yes that whole sequence with him it feels like they just borrowed from the beginning of the conan the barbarian movie hmm. and he's like sit down son let me tell you the riddle of steel <laughs> basically because um my understanding of of the comics is that you know uh, his his the the character of his father and 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 cloud's origin is a little bit different so it was interesting that they kind of went in that direction and you know very physical and smelly and and hammering iron and all of that to show the sort of the power, the powerful formation of the sword and everything. Um, it's it's a great sequence, and I think it adds well to the film. Hey, let's. Uh, I, I have no other notes other than well, well, some minor things on the ending. I think the ending gets the pace and the sights and sounds of Wuxia very correct. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a great mixture of you know the energy balls and the bolts and the, as I said before, the manifestation of. Uh, of uh, elements as these characters are uh, uh, they are capable of this so they're they're gonna do that they're gonna crank the wire shots and uh, have you know the quickly edited flying attacks and i think this gear i really appreciated this pace i really appreciated and i was hoping that there was some more of that i i really like being distracted by this noise and again i'm comparing it to choi hark and andrew lau versus choi hark you know 
there's no comparison. You take a hike, Andrew. You know, <laughs> say hello to Choi Hak and, and then leave. Uh, and and maybe I'm I'm wrong in expecting the same pace there, but I I think he, they really got it right for the ending. Uh, his uh, action director was um, Dion Lam, so he obviously combines uh, the work he provides. Uh, they they gel well in that regard. So uh, I was hoping more for more of that, but uh, it, it it's a cool ending and uh, the setting of the sword graveyard is um really iconic and they they don't overly set that up in terms of I guess that's gonna come back later because in the beginning of the movie they people are in it but it doesn't seem like they, they don't have dialogue like once here there was a great battle i sure hope there's no more battles here <laughs> <laughs> and uh then obviously so uh, so, so the ending was fun. Uh, so uh, let's go around the room again. Uh, so, uh, any particular notes on on the ending, Phil, or you, you've you've made your piece? Like I said, the ending was fun. I knew it was coming, I, and I enjoyed it for 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 everything that it was and everything that it was going to be and stuff. The, the because now of... you had wire stuff, and you yeah, you exactly. Know, so... Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and you know, you you you're used to it. You know what it is, and it's enjoyable. But I, like I say, it's enjoyable. It's like one of those. But um, a couple of things that uh, intrigued me uh, along the way and stuff. Um, so that um, from from Clay's point of view, where his father turns around and said, "Obviously, kindness makes no enemies." Before, obviously, he's, he's brutally uh, murdered, which is kind of ironic. And also, uh, Wynn's parents and him, his mother throws herself off, um, just probably because he was being too needy for a staff. And, and secondly and stuff, then gets his own father killed and stuff by shouting to him and stuff. So they've <laughs> only got themselves to blame for the parents uh, um, getting killed anyway, to be honest. One, because it was just moronic coming out with that statement. And, and secondly, the, the child's fault anyway for just being, you know, clingy to its mother and, um, and putting dad off the fight. He could have all been sorted out in the first five minutes. Which was um, which was quite interesting, um, but uh, but apart from that, you're gonna have to re-edit this yourself, Phil, and uh, exactly. Then I just amuse myself. Then it'll be five minutes long. long. So the end. Yeah. Done. They all lived. So, yeah, exactly. But you know, um, as a film itself, you know, it's it's worth a watch um, for for all the for all the good parts. And if you're fan of the comics and and know anything of them, absolutely, hundred percent. But but what about Ekin then? Can, can can you stretch to an Ekin, or is it leaning more to an Ekin? I mean, no, uh, it's it's a it's an Ekin for me um, on this one. There there wasn't enough from him to give me an an, an Ekin. So um, yeah, it was definitely an Ekin. Because, because if you don't feel like I'm going to explore now, that that guy was cool. <laughs> then there is that great i mean when you if you were to look at sunny chiba you just want to see every movie exactly. he's been in if, yeah, when yeah, you see him should. here oh i can i can where's way i don't care uh, just bring me more sunny and i'll be a happy chappy cool yeah. well let's throw over to paul uh, any other notes on the ending or any cameos you want to want to single out because uh, we've got a fair few uh, recognizable faces across these uh, 130 minutes yeah, no, I mean, there's just, it's going back, it's a, you know, literal star fest uh, every time somebody shows up on screen. But you've got uh, three of the five young and dangerous guys here. Yeah. Um, it's too bad <laughs> they couldn't bring Jordan Chan and Jerry Lam on because Jason Chu's here. And you mentioned Michael Tse along with Eakin. And, you know, it could have been <laughs> young and dangerous the old days. And I actually think, <laughs> I, I think this came out like a month after the young and dangerous prequel movie. Uh, which was done the same year by Andrew Lau as well. By Andrew Lau as well, yeah. So he, you know, he was he was busy in '98, uh, to be sure. If I, I'd say that you know, if you're somebody who's kind of just interested in 
comics and you because Chinese comics aren't really really that accessible over in the West. I mean, you've had some things like I think the Batman in Hong Kong comic, uh, which was done, uh, you know, as an East West collaboration, stuff like that. And you can find some of the older Jade Man stuff that's been translated over to English. But if you're interested in the idea of the comic industry, there's a movie that you can track down. They're not great. Um, but still somewhat entertaining because it goes into some of the some of the you know background rumors and things that happen in the industry and it's called um, Comic King starring uh, Eason Chan and Julian Chung and uh, it's you know basically about the two of them going in and becoming you know comic artists and and that kind of stuff I think Nick Tse is in it and Nick Tse is in it as the the comic character they create you know and so sometimes when their imagination runs wild uh, he takes up the role of of their character, which is like a basically a wind or a cloud style character. Hopefully, he still had his uh, his trademark like streaks of hair, so they could do something. Yes, uh, he, stuff he had with he that. had his his mm-hmm. hair uh, flowing in that one, and that's why for me this one I, I'd have to put it a little bit just just a nudge into the uh, Eakin camp because uh, you know because of his flowing locks and uh, the nice. The nice contrast that his natural hair has against, uh, you know, uh, Aaron's on poorly dyed blue streaks. So dip your hair in blue. <laughs> That's that will make you a star kid. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we did. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a curious dye job, but hey, you, you gotta you gotta make these wuxia heroes uh, stand out. I suppose. I mean, in Shaw Brothers, uh, Shaw Brothers movies, uh, you know, if someone was called Lion, they would have ma- massive blonde hair and a massive blonde beard, and uh, or, or, or or any other characters would be green or red. So it's in that tradition. But uh, Aaron is to be, Aaron is being more subtle. Damn it. So, <laughs> I, mean, I approve of the blue, kind of. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, there's uh, Lawrence Cheng is overacting his little heart out as the sort of assistant. I don't know if he's a eunuch or not, but he's called Jester, or the character is called Jester. So L- Lawrence Cheng, I bet, was having fun. I was having not so much fun uh, watching him uh, uh, overact his and little w- heart out. Wayne Lai looked disgusting by the end. I just got to say that that still kind of turned my stomach <laughs> yeah a lot of boils on uh, that uh, mm. that guy said wayne lie is a wonderfully quirky actor so uh, no wonder he was uh, game to uh, to uh, to do that so but but yeah th- those boils were a bit uh, off-putting indeed and and i like uh, shuke shuchi just uh, being uh, pretty and cute and adorable just dying to explore the martial world and find out more of whatever whatever fun holds uh, uh, in the martial world as it uh, drops in front of her. She's uh, she, she's on the outskirts of it, just like her father. So I like that. So, uh, But otherwise, let's uh, conclude this one. As for availability, Hong Kong has for once not forgotten a particular movie after its initial DVD run and things like that. And it is now available on Blu-ray in Hong Kong. And there's also a US edition as well for those in Region A land because the Hong Kong DVD would be uh, the equivalent of God, I've forgotten what Hong Kong uh, is uh, tied to, if it's a B or C. But regardless, uh, there are options on um, on uh, on both sides of the world, if you will. So it should be should be available to you if you want to give it a chance. So there it is. Let's take a, another musical break and uh, we'll be back to discuss the 2001 triad movie Goodbye, Mr. Cool, starring Inkin Cheng, of course. And uh, it's a few years out of a young and dangerous uh, 
world had done its thing. I mean, had Born to be King been... Uh, had, it, uh, they had concluded Young and Dangerous by the time 2001 came at us. Because I think uh, Born to be King was like the year before. So uh, Young and Dangerous was over and this was a more mature take on uh, the triad punk, if you will. So we'll uh, let you know how that fares after the break. Welcome back, and the second review of this episode, this particular Ekin Hour, is uh, the movie Goodbye Mr. Cool from 2001, and plot from the Love HK film review of the film. Ekin Sheng plays Dragon, or Cool Dragon, an ex-convict who works at the Kowloon Cafe after his release from prison. He spends his days with an ex-triad pal, played by Lam Suet. Uh, while making small change as a busboy. However, Dragon isn't just your standard ex-con, ex-triad. No, he's a legendary ex-triad who was famed for his ability to kick ass like you wouldn't believe. Though he wants uh, nothing uh, from uh, the world anymore, he can't exactly escape it. That's because, quote, every time he tries to get out, they pull him back in. The triad lobby has numerous people trying to hook Dragon back in, chief among them ex-girlfriend Helen, played by Karen Mock, who still remembers his passionate nights spent in Dragon's her passionate passionate nights spent in Dragon's triad embrace. Uh, she's now a ranking triad officer, and uh, though he says he wants no part of her life, she just won't give up. He's just not that into you, Karen Mock. <laughs> uh, Dragon has another reason to stay straight. He discovers he has a uh, six-year-old son who's never known his father. And also, to round off the plot, his, uh, his uh, son's teacher, Miss Mon, played by Rain Lee, shows up every now and again to lend Dragon some moral and possibly romantic support. Yep, everything's just great for Dragon. That is, until he gets dragged back into the triads. Uh, we don't have any other background other than this is a movie directed by Jingle Mob. Uh, the the big face the directorial face of the Raiders series I suppose Tokyo Seoul and now Europe Raiders I think there's only three right Paul three Raiders no, that, that's correct yes and uh, I guess we we forced me and Phil to t- tackle Europe Raiders at one point because uh, in a role of some sort we find George Lamb so uh, <laughs> we probably need to tackle that for five minutes at yeah. least at some point <laughs> Worth the price of admission. Is it, is it really? <laughs> no. Don't spoil no. it. Don't spoil it. I don't want to know. His gray, his gray moustache is worth about five bucks at least. It, no, seriously though, he's he's one of the more funny parts of it. I'll still just oh, say that. Okay, cool. Maybe he can drag his wife into movies if he's going to appear in them sporadically and in Europe or whatever. Let's drag his wife back into the movies, damn it. I'd pay to see that. Anyway, that's a jingle mile for you. Otherwise, uh, the director of Flying Into Polaris and uh, things I can't remember right now. Playboy Cops, of course, which uh, sounds like the shittiest movie ever, but it ends with a chainsaw duel. And I like it. like it a lot. But back to this movie. He's a former cinematographer or does cinematography duty every now and again because he's now a director. But uh, let's move into the quick opinions of it all. And... uh, if I were to give mine, uh, first of all, finally this world Ekin is inhabiting, the triad world in movies, feels dangerous. So we had to get old first before it felt dangerous, so old and dangerous. And uh, that brings me to the point that maybe 
they should have let Jingle Ma direct a young and dangerous movie. Because clearly this is his best movie, and way above his normal average or terrible grade. But it is a welcome mature look at when triads get old and do not wish to be dangerous. And why there's no way to escape that, because um, once you plant your seeds, so to say, in the triad world, you you simply can't escape it. And it's kind of affecting the way Jingle Ma depicts it. So I, I liked it. A lot. Uh, uh, even more upon second viewing, actually. I felt felt affected. So I like it. How about you, Phil? Goodbye, Mr. Cool. Uh, what did you think of it, in short? Uh, yeah, I liked it. I have to say, yeah. Uh, and, and like I say, a more mature performance, I think. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed it as part of that kind of heroic bloodshed genre uh, of, of films. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good film. Who knew that Jingle Ma could perhaps affect you? To some yeah. to some degree, so. Uh, so uh, what what about you, Paul? Uh, you've seen this once or twice, I know, because I believe you recommended me to pursue this movie. Because obviously, with anything with Jingle Ma on, I'm not um, automatically putting in my cart. But uh, I, I did for this one, and uh, I was happy to do so. But uh, uh, what do you want to say this time around? In short, about Goodbye, Mister Cool, Paul. Yes, it's a, a rewatch for me. Surprisingly good. It still holds up, and uh, I liked it when I first saw it, and I like it now. Where do you stand in terms of uh, Jingle Ma? I know, I know, I'm all immature. I'm not trying to uh, convert anyone else, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Jingle Ma because uh, his commercialism is not that interesting for me. Uh, but uh, where do you stand on Jingle Ma? You're a big Raiders fan, uh, Paul. I, he, you know, he's hit or miss, and he can be more miss than hit. Uh, for most people, but I, you know, I just got to take each one as it comes. And occasionally he comes out of the woodwork with something really nice like this one. And then, uh, you know, other times you get stuff, which is not quite as good, like, uh, you know, something like love you, you, or, uh, the Silverhawk movie. So. Oh boy, I'd oh, forgot. I was thinking like, what is it? What is another movie that I associate with Jingle Man? Boom, Silverhawk, and uh, some signature action scenes, but that was it. Uh, anyway, it, it's interesting looking back how this movie positioned itself, um, release and story wise. It came out in two thousand and one, because as we said, Young and Dangerous had concluded its uh, six movie strong series, and uh, the prequel, I believe, is technically a seventh movie but it is a prequel so they had concluded the story presumably in the born born to be king and i, I guess the triad genre that started that, that particular wave of triad movies that started with young and dangerous had fizzled to a degree because the makers had spent time making those movies other makers had started to make fun of those movies or taking these stories into dramatic territory like for instance uh, within the young and dangerous universe we had spin-offs that were purely dramatic and also acclaimed award-winning even in the case of the movie portland street blues that starred uh, sandra so i guess um, i don't know I'd, I'd like to think that directors and actors saw that happening that what they were doing could be respected you know you, you can use uh, also the fact that these uh, performers are getting older to craft something new rather than have them play trial punks uh, uh, all the time. Because let's face it, Egan was either 34, 33 or 34 years old at this point. So you, you can't make another trial punk movie akin to five years ago or whatever. So I think it's very good and clever that they are depicting this as a movie where they come back from after the fun had ended. And uh, trying to reboot their life is uh, a clever and even excellent angle for me. I really, it sounds simple enough, but I really think that's 
a good way to go and it's you know it's reflected in the title in a way goodbye mr cool he's leaving that behind and now let's deal with how the real world sans glamour is treating you and if it's possible to veer away from the old which i've hinted at is is very difficult because uh once you're in the tired world uh, they are not gonna let you go they have their hooks into you so on that basis alone maybe it's because this movie just gets it very right but on that basis alone i think it's an excellent setup for a movie and very compelling because they have an older actor who probably was keen on developing his craft a little bit in the case of Ikin and uh, I think they all respond really really well so let me stop there uh, did you think about that consciously in terms of uh, that it's more appealing feel to see uh, a story like this rather than the triad punks running around on the streets of Hong Kong again you know young and dangerous eight again yeah exactly yeah and that's what makes it so compelling so Ikin has that character um, you know, and it starts off quite bloody, you know, as a throwback and, and starts off with that. But then you get into the character and it needs uh, someone that can carry the film and, and carry that about someone that's, you know, got out of the, you know, the triads, the, the gangster lifestyle and stuff and carry it and stuff. And he certainly does with this movie. And that's what and that's why it's different to, to some of the movies, I guess, that, you know, from that genre, though he still fits in that, you know, he's. He's gone for the kind of the Andy Lau uh, film and stuff that he did so many of and stuff. But, you know, a slightly different angle on it. And, and fair play to him. He, he pulls it off. He really does in this movie. And that's and that's that's what makes it enjoyable. And, and that's why you should really, you know, definitely hunt it down and see it. Does it feel like he fits that mold because he's at the age he's at and he's uh, and he's given that the, the story material that is given meaning that he wants to deflect the trial world uh, does that look good on him you think yeah it does and it, and it works for him and that's what i mean and and, and in this movie and um there's there's hope for us that you know he can uh as the as and i said at the beginning a m- mature performance and that's what it is it's a mature performance it needed one for this role and he does a really good job with it so you know it seems that you know, Akin as a as an actor and going forward the more films he does it, but the older he got and stuff, seems to be he's better, which is great. Um and absolutely this role he, he absolutely nailed. What about you, Paul? Uh, did you think at all consciously about oh my god, this movie is push it, positioning itself in a different way. It's not a young and dangerous movie. It takes place post the glamour glamour of a young and dangerous movie and uh, where there's consequences to what you did when you were having fun, and now this movie, uh, you know, depicts that in a more, you know, hard fashion, hands-on fashion. What it's like after the glamour of it all. So, uh, did you pick up on the fact that that would, that's an angle that's fun and compelling, and maybe needs to be done after we've had that run of Young and Dangerous? Yeah, I think it it does that very well, and I think it serves as a. If so you're familiar with the Young and Dangerous films and you haven't seen this, it serves as a nice sort of capstone. Uh, to all of that. And again, Eakin, part of the reason you guys are doing this series is, is to, to sort of test out, you know, where does he really shine? And for me, this is one of the roles that he he really shines in. It's nice to see him maturing and, and kind of pushing back against that sort of cool Chan Ho Nam image that he was very much, much associated with for such a long time and saying, you know, it's not as, you know, uh, there's different angles to it. And, you know, glamour that was kind of popularized by those films, there could be a different side to it. 
even though this film's not really doing anything all that new, I'm I'm thinking, you know, I think wasn't Chow Yun-Fat's Triads the Inside Story having a kind of a similar thing where he was trying to get out and they were, you know, getting pulled back in. And you've got aspects of things like, um, you know, because of the relation, he has a relationship with a child actor here. So there's aspects of things like All About All Long or My Dad is a Jerk, you know, that kind of thing going in. But I think that what really stands out for me is the chemistry that he has with the child actor, the chemistry he has with Karen Mock, the chemistry he has with Lam Schutt. That sort of core uh, among those, and there's some good supporting performances as well, but that's what really stands out for me and makes this film work with, I, I think it, it, you know, it's like a 99% for me because where I think Jingle Ma drops the ball is in the last two to three minutes of the film. Beyond that, looking beyond that, it's it's just a really solid performance by him. And it's one that I've just really appreciated uh, over the years. Even being a fan of the Young and Dangerous films, I think this is by far superior to any of his young, his work in the Young and Dangerous films. So far, yes. And uh, I've, I've only seen the first three. So it, it's heads above this uh, that level, where, where because his character was not really that compelling in the first three. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's Chan Honam, he's a leader, he's got a cool tattoo and a cool girlfriend and some cool friends, I guess. So. And the thing I think that's great, too, is that because, you know, if you've seen so many, there's just so many of these sort of triad gangster films that follow an almost cookie cutter framework in terms of who the villain is and how the villains act and, and these kinds of things. And there's a little bit of that here, but there's also areas where it's willing to sort of bend the rules. And I think if you think about, and I don't want to spoil it, but if you think about who's the real antagonist here, it's almost surprising uh, when, it, when it comes right down to it. Um, and so I, I appreciated that as well. Structurally, I think it's, it's very much allowed. And I think it's good that, it, that, that, we, that it's more flashier in the flashback. Because that's the trial world that the younger version of the character was in and knew, and uh, we, we we obviously need to find out uh, what happened in Thailand. You know why uh, his uh, leg injury happened and why he was um, in prison. And that portion that we get back to every now and again, Jingle Ma chooses to have visual playtime in that section, and he's very much allowed. And I think that that's the time when you need to have it because that was the that was the going good times in a way even though he's injured but they, they were the going good times and they it was the sexier and dangerous uh times uh, before uh, life kicked in i suppose and uh, within this section we got a far better mass brawl than anything andrew Lau did in those first three uh young and dangerous movies because the, the slashes and the bloodshed feels a bit more brutal versus the young and dangerous level and it's akin to raw and primal even to a, to a degree that they're fighting animals here that was compelling because I, I I got the sense that Jingle Ma had picked his spots to uh, make the frame sexy. And when it cuts to the present day where where characters have been mocked, then he shoots the movie in a straightforward fashion. Including, we didn't mention this, it's shot in sync sound. And I know sometimes you don't even think about it because it's a movie, you watch the movie, but uh, it stood out like a sore thumb in a good way here because... Of the quality people were putting forth and the chemistry that was achieved between the actors, especially between Ikin Cheng and Lam Shut, that change that, that that sometimes means the world to me. That uh, a movie that cares also ensures that uh, they're gonna go through the pain of recording sync sound 
in the busy Hong Kong streets and uh, and uh, try and get you know overcome the challenge of getting clean sound in such a reportedly noisy uh, noisy city. And that's uh, a structure that between uh, like the old and sexy and the and the new and present where characters are heard is uh, very well conceived, I think. And uh, I mean, like even um, they talk about things like the well, the old gang they're all dead or on drugs, and it's the cycle that perhaps Young and Dangerous never wanted to pursue in these six parts. It seems like it was all m- mostly rise and rise and rise to to higher positions. And uh, I, I'm not saying that's bad because I haven't seen four through six, but I think uh, I, I like it when the tri world is a little bit more real, as is the case uh, here and uh, and all of that. Before, before I turn to any of you, the stunt that happens in the Thailand section where Ikin's character jumps through uh, the second floor of um, uh, where he's hiding onto a van or a car and onto the pavement, that is a stuntman, right? That must be a stuntman. If so, that's a good-looking double for Ikin. What's your take on that, Phil, if you single out that moment where the the slow motion jump happens? Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's cracking. I I don't know. It must have been something you would assume it would be and stuff to... Look like another nice long-haired stuntman that uh, looks (laughs) looks like Ikin. Yeah, you never know. I'm sure it is. Um, Somebody somewhere might have some. You should should let us know, folks. But yeah, definitely. But no, you're right. It sets it up brilliantly, the, the opening... You know, I, I've got that down in my nose. It was just brutal, and that's what you want because it gives you that wow. This is this is the world that he's in. Blah blah blah. You know, this is the world that he's kind of come from, and then takes you on the journey from there. That and and, and like the last thing you think about is, oh, this looks compelling, which yeah, is exactly. what Young and Dangerous One made me feel. Not not me personally. I didn't want to go out there, but it yeah. it really made that world seem compelling, and this is the antidote to that. Any film should be that you want the hook. That's the hook. It's bloody, it's brilliant. It's, it's you know, it's beautiful from that point of view. It's a great scene, you know, and it finishes with a great stunt at the, the back end of it. But that's what you want from a movie to, to draw your attention because then it can tell the story so it was. I know that's part of the story, but you're right. Then you can let them go off. And in this case with Ekin, you can let him and do what, you know, what he's doing, which is act and portray this character. And you go along with that because all of a sudden you want to know more about why and, and what, and you've seen that life. And, and you know that as a film and stuff, there's going to be at some point, it's going to be dragged back out. Just when you thought he was out, he's pulling back in. Yeah, you you know he's going to come and you can't wait for that because, you know, it's just an explosive start. So, and, yeah. and I really like that they, I mean, it's as, as Paul said, this is not new, but it could no. have been so much worse because it's yeah. Jingle fucking Ma. And it could have been so much worse. But I really <laughs> like that they, they bring him down when he's caught and he's caught in uh, the same uh, prison as... Uh, you know, presu- presumably a hard triad that's uh, been leading a good life. And when it comes down to it, they, they when they're caught and when they're dragged away, they're, they're scared. And yeah, exactly. they pray for their, they beg for their lives. And, uh, you know, it's it's not uh, too overwrought either, which I, I, yeah. I, I just was really affected by that. Even Ku Feng's brief cameo. And you you got to be on your game acting-wise if you're going to act against such a great veteran like Ku Feng. As yeah, his yeah. father disowned him and he's... Uh, and he reads the letter in the prison, which uh, we, we found out later what's, what it says later in the letter. We find out, out later in the movie what it says there. That stuff, I think, effectively brings down the character to Earth. And then, obviously, as Egan comes back, a changed man trying to deflect um, his, old, his old world. I think those 
Jingle Mile picked these spots really well in terms of how to do, we need to depict these worlds in with contrasts. I mean, shit, even in the middle of the movie, with doing another flashback, he gleefully has the fighting and the brawling take place uh, with a big old red backdrop where people are in silhouette fighting in slow motion as Ekin is walking away with his girlfriend around his, uh, you know, around him and they're smiling and everything is awesome. And I think mm-hmm. Jingle Ma is so clever in terms of creating those contrasts that from that point and then then everything, uh, you know, goes in the toilet for, for Ekin in terms of uh, how he falls. Really good, really good stuff structurally. Uh, let me throw over to uh, Paul. Uh, you, you know, Jingle Mark can be a, like a visually ambitious director. He's a cinematographer too. So, ha- shooting like straightforward and very plain in the in the present sections, and then being stylish in the flashback sections. Did, did that work for you? Do you think that that's a that's a balance that uh, that it does well? Yeah. Again, I think it's it's trying to show the contrast before the uh, you know the the young and dangerous time, if you will. <laughs> And showing that sort of glitzy glam that, you know, was used in the cinematography of some of those films as well and versus sort of the more monotone, not really monotone, but just, just sort of the, the tonal shift that the, the contemporary day takes, which is much more downplayed, but, you know, much more compelling in some ways. Very much so. And I, I think Ekin is so he's actually very, quite charming as he uh, as he deals with these um Trier punks of 2001 who apparently uh, resemble uh, anime characters <laughs> some of the patrons of the Kowloon Cafe they're green yellow and red uh, they got red hair they're, they're like teenagers but uh, they they are they, they have the the, the trier punks presumably uh, on on the lower end of the scale and all and uh, he can he can deflect the old world with his smile and its foolishness he sees through that but he's not disrespectful when connecting to old friends though uh, because they they're on him as soon as he comes back in town and they bring the boys out and like say say hello to cool dragon respect him and he's he tries he tries his best with a genuine smile and almost in a zen like manner. Well, that's not for me anymore. And uh, you guys want to order anything? So he's not um, disrespectful. But obviously, the likes of Chapman Toe seems uh, fine with. Okay, he's not gonna join us. That's fine. Some characters are not fine with that. They're just fuming that he's such a <laughs> he's essentially like he's such a nice guy. And you know, and they almost are fuming because of that. That he's being disrespectful because he's so nice and not wanting to play anymore. Uh, so that's the sort of triad uh, contrasts uh, as well, which is uh, which is enjoyable. The best flashback, by the way, which is the makers and I think the characters having a laugh when they think back on Ikin uh, Cools and Lamshut's uh, days as uh, debt collectors <laughs> yeah yeah but <laughs> phil any any uh spontaneous thoughts on lamshut the younger version of lamshut <laughs> wig it's just brilliant it's just that kind of perm you know that curly blonde perm thing going on on his head on his buns bless him and, I mean, a, big, God, uh, and a big dragon working. t-shirt yeah. as well <laughs> you know it still works and there's a flashback dead collectors that were like it's like one of those dream sequences oh remember when we were the dead collectors at and then they finish it by he gives him the money anyway at the end of it, which is kind of like kind of, kind of different. You didn't expect to a certain extent, but yeah, you kind of got like dreamlike sequence and stuff. It doesn't have to. It's quite a quirky in there and stuff. I don't mind it as much, 
but yeah, yeah, I do remember when we did this kind of thing. Fortunately, he, the the um, Jingle Mar just keeps it down to the, the that one kind of thing from that point of view. Um, it could have got a little bit repetitive, so I didn't mind it as much. It was, uh, you know, it's almost like the characters themselves. They're looking back at those times as well. We yeah. we had a job, but man did we look foolish uh, obviously <laughs> exactly, he can looks yeah. impeccable uh, Chapman Toe yeah, has a wig on that makes it look yeah. like uh, it's set in the 1970s but uh, and, and obviously Lamschut there so um, uh, so it's it's, uh, it's not a uh, this uh, wild comedic side to the movie I just enjoyed that uh, well d- d- those could have been dangerous times and we were hurt but we looked, yeah, we exactly. looked silly uh, yeah. so <laughs> What about you, Paul? Uh, the, that uh, that uh, blonde look in that metal dragon T-shirt is um, is uh, that's a man's man look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 nice to see them reminisce and and kind of think back on the error of their their youth. And you know that scene ends with you know just Lampshut saying, "I'll never collect you know I'll, I'll never collect yeah. uh, production money again." <laughs> it's just you know. Uh, and again, it's it's a it's a, a moment of humor that I think is too few and far between in uh, the Young and Dangerous series, right? It's where which tends to take itself as too stylish, too cool, too serious all the time. There's a nice balance here uh, that that goes back and forth. And I, I want to mention too briefly the the character of the teacher played by Rain Lee, who was fairly new on the scene back then. She she doesn't have a huge filmography. Um, she kind of stepped away from the limelight after a few years, though she does have a couple mainland China productions in more recent years. And, you know, her character is a bit of an interesting mix, too, because the when you're first introduced to her, you're given kind of one idea, and then it turns out uh, something else a bit later, which I think is fine and interesting, because why not? You know, I mean, it's not like if you're, you know, one thing in life that you can't be other things in life as well. You know, the there there's an interesting thing that ends up happening between her and between um, the child actor, which, again, you think of the world that these movies often gravitate to and the impact on, you know, children. And they actually went to a place that I, you know, when I saw this, I was like, they're, they're not going to go there. No, they did. They, they actually, you know, um, had had a fairly serious but not overly dramatic and serious moment, you know, something that could likely possibly happen. So it's just it's li- the little moments like that that I think that I think are interesting, uh, and just to kind of tie it back to Eakin and past work and the comics angle that we were talking about before. So Eakin started off in the field 100% films, and uh, Rain Lee was actually in the TV drama series Feel 100%, starring opposite uh, Nikki Chow. Uh, Alex Fong and Daniel Chan, which I think she, which I think started about a year after this. Um, unfortunately, that it's a it's a limited series. I think it's ten or twelve episodes for the first season, and about eight eight episodes for the second season. Never released with English subtitles, as far as I know. Thank God. No, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but it's actually, in terms of all the movies that have been done uh, of the Feel One Hundred Percent series. Uh, or, or the 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 manga the comic series itself in, t- in terms of all the films, the TV drama series um, I think gets closest to the characterizations uh, in terms of the sort of the look and the feel. It's still not exact, but um, it's fairly entertaining if you're willing to brave the the Chineseness of it all. 
speaking of the child actor, by the way, uh, Tom Whitehall had a few uh, credits to his name. I assume it's a he. And uh, he's an assertive child actor. He's n- not there to be cute, but he's uh, he's been shaped by his environment uh, because there's not been a solid parental unit there. Uh, probably gotten some idea that there's violence in his world and he's developed a little bit of survival instinct. And uh, But he's also receptive to parental guidance because he wants it. And that's where sort of cool comes in and can provide that and can snap into those uh, those instincts and and then again not any of this is the sharpest and greatest drama in the world but it sticks to story focus and it maintains a solid level without dipping at any point really and uh, and uh, jingle ma refrains from making this a stylish frame once he's settled into the story Uh, there's no cool slow-mo of cool as he has to resort to some violence in a reluctant manner is very plainly shot and uh, that includes the scenes with a child and uh, the trial con- confrontation in the restaurant i think he, he he earns you know bringing in a massive crane shot when the triads have gathered outside of the cafe because now the old world is intruding on the new the new that he doesn't want anything to do with that, that that's a technically sort of a good place to put a massive crane shot like this now now it now it's sexy again and there's one in the middle saying no get out of here i don't want this and uh, that's you know it's infuriating to not be able to step away from this and um, this frustration obviously crafts a pattern and we can we can sense that this story is going down some darker routes without spoiling it so um the characters are not making it easy on him because uh, I, I don't know how you guys felt but uh, I love Karen Mock but uh, the character is so infuriatingly dumb and so stubborn that she's willing to just pull cool into the triad world just because of a grudge granted he's been a, he's been a shit uh, and a complete <laughs> bastard to her but he doesn't deserve what uh, she uh, uh, orchestrates you know and again i don't want to spoil too much there uh, K- karamok is great but uh and i was engaged in the movie that that's why i felt like mm, fucking bitch don't do it to him don't do it to him it's trying well, to be nice right. I mean, that's the character though i mean that's what drives it i mean that's you know as paul said at the beginning and stuff that's you know <clears throat> behind all this and pulling the strings actually it's quite intelligent because it's not who you think it is and there's somebody else there so you know, she's there to drive that story through and stuff. Although towards the end and stuff, you do feel like, well, how powerful is she as kind of this gangster leader? Because she does get slapped an awful lot. He can, he can, the way, when he can punches her in the face, I mean, it, it's, it's part of the story, but that looked, that, that, that was well rehearsed and it looked too slapped, real. Oh yeah, Papa, I mean, Papa slapped a couple of times. I thought, oh, um, but as a character and stuff, well, you're supposed to be this gangster stuff. Surely you'd have him like, you know, killed on the on on the on on site and stuff but yeah she does get slapped quite a bit and stuff but yeah absolutely it's a, it's a character you love to hate kind of thing and stuff there's a turning in there and you know some some recognition but yeah it's definitely a character you love to hate but that's that's what um that's what makes it so good i guess like i say you were you were invested uh you were invested in the the characters and the story and the outcome and stuff so yeah cameron uh we, we must mention for for all those reasons it becomes really frustrating as a viewer and heartbreaking because now when cool finally snaps a little bit and gets angry you'd enjoy you have enjoyed so much the fact that um you know his smile is going to carry carry him through life and he's going to work this job and it's going to be cool and uh going to be cool it's going to be fine and uh, 
that uh, that it isn't working and that he uh, he needs to at least engage in the triad world a little bit is um, you know I, I started to feel a little knot in my stomach because I didn't want that for the character but my god isn't that like a nice little receipt that the movie is uh, pulling you in yeah. and, and not doing it in an overwrought fashion there's not uh, any big multiple canto pop montages um, you know it towards the end there's a song and some tragedy yeah but uh, otherwise it doesn't um, do insecure things like that you know uh, um, even though it is predictable to a degree uh, because it's not going well it's never is distracting for me and and uh, the engagement in the story remains very solid and i really like the gentle character interaction again between Eakin and lamshut all in that little cafe it seems like it's like lit by natural light and they're just shooting that and that's a great thing for a cinematographer to just shed style and just shoot shoot the movie and and i think uh, one sort of poignant line in the movie and again they, 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 these are tropes but tropes can work and be affecting i think one poignant line in the movie that i really took with me this viewing was when Eakin says or cool says i didn't know my image affected so many and that that has levels to it because um now this triad world is um you know that there's consequences to that this triad world and that's why i think goodbye mr cool as a movie was really needed to balance things out we had a balance in terms of people were making satire and making fun of these movies and some were making dramas but i think the, the, this one evens the scale a little bit which was uh certainly needed you know sh- shame that it wasn't um a widely successful movie but that's you know you never know about these things these things i suppose but um and and, and, it, and it is commercial drama so it's not for the art house crowd and it's not destined to be this elevated hong kong drama up there with the best of them but it is good commercial drama that tries way harder way harder uh, than most things i've seen and again it's a jingle ma movie and I didn't expect that out of him to for him to be that reserved. And his approach is a lot more mapped out than uh, I was expecting out of a Jingle Ma movie. So, uh, you know, well done, Jingle Ma. And, uh, and, and Ikin deserves more respect for this role. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it's a little bit of an uh, um, unavail- uh, unavailable movie. So maybe it's not talked of because of that. But he deserves more respect for this role because he appears natural. He's charming. He understands the role clearly. He, he he's had that role that uh, he's had the young and dangerous role he's been the face of it so he understands what uh, this means why this uh, is appropriate f- um, to have in his filmography and a, and a, is an appropriate balance uh, you know role versus role but it's also it's involving him as an actor as a, like a natural charming relaxed actor i i, I can't see him struggling to find the beats here it just seems very relaxed and uh, that makes like the role stand out that's a long way of saying that uh, i approve very much and uh, I, I don't want to spoil the ending other than i i expected the ending i I'm, i know people probably gonna have a problem with it that it's uh well that wasn't that wasn't uh, certainly original but personally i had no problem with it and i was kind of feeling a little misty-eyed at the end of it which is surprising because it's a jingle ma movie i don't uh, associate emotions with a jingle mama we have an anger <laughs> <laughs> 
so I'm, I'm going to conclude my notes there. If you have uh, chunks of notes still left, guys, you're very welcome to uh, to um, jump back, jump back and forth. So, guys, you, you have the floor. Paul, you mentioned that you know, uh, right at the start and stuff, great movie, but towards the end, perhaps wasn't uh, the greatest. You expand on yours because I might have something to add to that as well. Because you so kind of said, yeah, really enjoyed the movie, but maybe it sloped off towards the end. Yeah, I just think right. that yeah. uh, like. I mean, look at the title. I mean, come on, you know. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of it's kind of there in the title, but the way that that was kind of executed just felt a little weird, mm. given what was happening in that moment. Um, just just how it kind of came about, like it, it just it just felt almost a bit unnatural. It's like why why would they allow that to happen, given mm. the thing that happened right before then? Um, but okay, so fine. So they go there, but my bigger problem was there's no epilogue, right? There's no, it's yeah. just, there's no, you know, we've been with, not just with Eakin's character, but the Lamb Shit character, the little boy, mm. Karen Mock, um, the, the teacher. I wanted a little bit more of an epilogue beyond that, that, that kind of, you know, fine, final moment, if mm. you will. That's true. Just just because I felt like those characters were such, you know, it was his story, but those characters were also an integral part of of what was going on and, and this new sort of role that he had found for himself. And I wanted to know kind of a little bit more of where they ended up. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah there, were, there were still ripples to, um, that, that weren't done done yep. you know moving uh because there, there were money involved and uh, drugs and things like that and uh yeah uh, that's true i mean they, they could have wrapped that up uh they didn't need 20 more minutes of course but uh you're right that, that would have been nice to see what, what they what they picked if they picked uh, something edgy or something more mild to um to, to conclude it uh, if they had added an epilogue yeah paul's kind of nailed it and stuff but that's probably testament to the to the film itself to to reckon and, and the character and and being involved and wanting to know more about it and, and for the movie to kind of carry on because it's kind of all of a sudden as well. And there's still some more to flesh out, you know, what, what you know, all of a sudden that happens. And you think, well, hold on a second, the, the real culprit behind this has kind of got away with it anyway. Um, and you want to see kind of what happens or, the, you know, and it's kind of ends when you think, actually, there's some more here that could you, you could find out more and you wanted to know more. But that's a testament to the film as well, I think looking at it probably um, that way. Um, and um, the, the only other thing and stuff I will say is that Ekin really is milking that final scene. Proper, <laughs> proper milking it. Proper milking it. Other than that, I don't want to take the glass off. You know, it's absolutely, um, you know, a, a tremendous film. So I wanted to ask you, uh, Paul, some, some, some quick hits uh, here in terms of... Uh, Jingle Ma movie said uh, Fly Me to Polaris like uh, yeah or nay because that, that, that's his big overwrought melodrama yeah I liked it uh, back in the day I, I, I need to rewatch it because I haven't seen it since my original screening but I did come away thinking it was quite memorable because I um, know Jay Lee listen to Jay Lee really likes the likes of Hot War the 1998 movie's first one. That, 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 that's a cool action movie. I haven't seen that. but um, So, and the majority of movies I haven't seen, but it, it seems like the, the gloss and the commercialism, if it doesn't work for three or four movies as you watch them, then you don't, you're, you're not um, sort of infused to explore more. Like uh, Silverhawk, uh, uh, Tokyo Raiders, well, yeah, and then uh, Fly Me to Polaris, Overwrought, but okay, I guess. And yeah. then you, the, uh, Playboy Cops, fine. Chainsaw Action Violence, fantastic. But then, I, I don't know, uh, Butterfly Lovers and Mulan, and then you lose interest. But now Europe Raiders is here, and uh, at least they have interest in the stars. 
Yeah, it's interesting too because the same year, you know, back to our other lead from the the Storm Riders, uh, he did Para Para Sakura for Aaron, which no, just is it um the <laughs> Roma romance comedy that failed or R- R- romance comedy based on a dance, you know, the the Para Para Sakura dance, which was kind of like the Macarena, but for Asia. So it yeah no, just no. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 you were a fan of the likes of um, Mulan, I would have you. Did did you ever watch that twenty oh nine movie? No, no. Oh gosh, that's so bad. Because I assume so it's bad. a an actual Mulan movie and not uh, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. No. It's. Uh, uh. So 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 has so has that sort of been your feel to like when jing when a Jingle Man movie is announced, it's like well, could be hit or miss, and it has been missed most you know, of the time. It's funny because like one of his better films is uh, Summer Holiday. Um, which is a Richie Wren, uh, Sammy Chang romantic comedy that a lot of people just love and think it's one of the you know great romantic comedies of that era. And now it's just you know he's tried to repeat that formula with um, more recently Love You You, and it's just fallen flat. You know um, it's not. Uh, he, he I think he gets gets into modes where he wants to try an idea. You know, he wants to revisit Butterfly Lovers. Okay, but the outcome's not great. He wants to try and do Mulan. Same same kind of thing. I mean, you can see that there's clear intention. There's sometimes some great cinematography, um, but the ex- the overall execution is just, you know, it, it's just flat somehow. But once in a while, he gets his teeth into something like Summer Holiday or like Goodbye, Mr. Cool, and it just really works well. Very much so. Uh, so yes, I, I'm willing to uh, explore a movie or two. Uh, if Jay says Hot War is like mm, cool, maybe it's a cool, flashy, noisy action picture with uh, Ikin and Jordan uh, uh, Chan or what have you. We should do that. And I don't think if Jackie Chan was producer on Hot War as well. We'll see what happens. Uh, yeah. But uh, any other notes, uh, Phil, that you want to share? Um, I just oh, hold up one moment, sir, while I just check my notes. Musical melody interlude. No, I don't want to discuss that. Um, I just want to forget that blank man from my mind. Um, the uh, the other little bit and stuff. The, there's a quick scene in there which I like, and we talked about those small alleyways, dark and you know smoke, red background, rain soaked. There's a there's a fight scene in there when Karen Muck. You kind of discover what Karen Muck's all about and stuff, where she's standing behind him, and Ekin gives um, some guys a good. Uh, shoeing as we say over here in the united kingdom um i love i love that scene i have to say just that it's it's you know short very very small tightly tightly filmed and stuff but rain soaked you know slow-mo um that was a great standout scene as well um from an action action wise so like i say it might be sparse from from the action kind of the middle section of the film but um you know it, it's littered with uh, a few uh nice uh set pieces as well so um yeah and those set pieces are meant to be stylish because uh, yeah. of what they're so, looking back at and uh, yeah. the thing they wanted to get away from. So, but exactly. but they weren't they weren't the characters they are now back then. So no. it, it really is exactly. uh, well conceived in that regard. Um, it, it, it is the very reason I think uh, these scenes are much more colorful and much more stylish. Uh, exactly. Oh, they, although in saying that, I will say. Um, those are not the people they were, but obviously, you know, Cameron Mark kind of plays that character that he's still harboring and still wants to be that way. So it's yeah, that's that's what you know. We, we, which is very interesting that uh, 
the, the view they have on life that they almost see this well this is life and this is our business but it's really infuriating in terms of it's so cold and uh, even when there's a kid involved your your vision sort of on your filter doesn't break and she admits that in the movie without, yeah. without spoiling too yeah. much that I, I i don't see him other than this way mm. uh we, I'm, I'm keeping it vague but i, I think that there, there, there is some poignancy here that you don't expect out of a, a hong kong triad drama necessarily but f- f- thank god it wasn't over melodramatic which i was fearing knowing that uh it's a so, uh, yeah a hundred percent ekin for me um which uh my calculation draws it's, it. It's um, too all, and your your points again. And your yeah. points, Paul, are welcome, but they're not uh, official points, though. <laughs> so, no, no problem. Uh, but uh, so, um, but uh, you're leaning towards an Ekin on this one, I suppose. Oh, definitely, yeah, most definitely. And and you know, just to sort of uh, carry over on Phil's comments on the, the action, which is, it, you know, this isn't meant to be like an over-the-top action film, but I think what they end up doing is very well-crafted. Um, and it's a testament, too, to the action director, Jack Wong, I believe, uh, Wong Wailang, who, this was one of his early action directorial films, but he's gone on to just to do tons and tons of stuff. I mean, most recently he did, he was one of the directors on Wolf Warrior 2, um, Operation Red Sea. Right. So oh. he's done some, <laughs> you know, some, and, but he still does smaller stuff too. Like he was, he did Herman Yao's film, uh, The Leakers uh, from last year as well. So, I mean, he's just got uh, a big body of work from, um, you know, small stuff like this that is excellently crafted to really big, big bombastic stuff like Operation Red Sea. And a lot of uh, acting uh, credits as gangster, thug, one of wise men, extra <laughs> robber, gangster, terrorist. Fellow, <laughs> thug, security guard, stuntman, <laughs> SDU trainee, you know, that kind of thing. So he's a, he's a reliable, uh, reliable fellow that's racked up uh, 128 credits because of uh, the fact that uh, extra henchman, diver, killer, <laughs> vampire in the twins effect. So there you are. Cool, guys. Well, uh, as for availability, the original Maya DVD from Hong Kong uh, that was released in 2001 is expectedly out of print, and it was actually a double-sided disc. Um, uh, it's not a long movie, so it doesn't require it, but it was possibly because of the, the included DTS track. They couldn't fit it onto one side, maybe out of uh, maybe the technology wasn't there, or maybe Maya were just stupid. But uh, that's what we got, like a 100-minute movie on uh, two two sides. But uh, I got a Malaysia release uh, DVD from Speedy that has burned in subtitles. But they make them like um, they, they put them out, put them on like digitally afterwards, and with uh, contrast and outline around them. So it's not they're, they're not going um, uh, they're not going invisible as Ikin uh, strolls around the frame in his white uh, apron and anything like that, you know. So it's fully readable and it's a reasonable way to watch the film and it's still listed on eBay at a cheap price. So uh, uh, go for the um, speedy speedy release. Uh, I found it amusing that the the logo that opens uh, the fact the DVD that it's a speedy logo, uh, it's uh, structured as uh, they display the Blu-ray logo, they display the DVD logo, they res- display the video CD logo, and they display the CD logo. So speedy is all in one still. They're sticking with each and every format, which was amusing to me. <laughs> that good on you, good on you. Like uh, let's not bury formats. Let's be physical still. You know, in these uh, day in, in this day and age where physical media is. Uh, 
going away reportedly speedy is uh champion uh, of the champions of vcd and cds still at any rate uh thanks guys uh we we're too wall phil so uh maybe it's gonna come down to the last episode in terms of uh, where we swing uh, in terms of weekend but uh, we're doing nine movies so uh, it's gonna happen sometime and paul has been kind to throw out some suggestions that i haven't seen but um, so you know in terms of his romantic work we're gonna do a horror movie or two because i didn't review it i listened to the review and uh, produced the episode um, while paul and uh, dr david lamb talked about it I, f- I think me and phil are gonna put in uh, our views of uh, full strike the uh, the badminton movie so um it's no secret that I enjoyed it, but I think uh, it's fun to have as a latter day movie where he's grown old and uh, where Hong Kong cinema still was doing something kooky and uh, original and uh, with identity. And uh, you, you don't hear too much about a triad badminton movie. No, no, I don't think that genre comes up very often. Heroic bloodshed, badminton. No, no, I don't think it does. But thank you very, very much, uh, uh, Phil, of course, for for uh, continuing to participate. And I'm going to keep you uh, hijacked for the remainder of the series, obviously. But uh, mm-hmm. you you seem to be cool with it, literally. You're not going to bid adieu to the series. Like, uh, goodbye, Mr. Cool. Like, goodbye, Mr. Phil. Yeah. Oh, da, 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 da. Well, what, am I going to do this series alone <laughs> now? <Goodbye>. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, yeah, thank you very much. And goodbye. Cheers. <laughs> and uh, Paul, thank you very much for participating. I, I, I literally thought of you in terms of what well, Paul has expressed passion and enthusiasm towards Storm Rider. So I got to bring him on because uh, that's always inspiring to to have around you. And uh, you have a, this comic book knowledge that uh, I'm never ever going to possess. And uh, therefore, just, you... just say it, Can I'm a geek. Come on. Just I'm, say it. I'm a nerd and a geek <laughs> as well. That's not a shameful word anymore. When I was growing up, that was a shameful word. It's a cool now. It didn't used to be back in the day when we were getting beaten up for it, but now it's cool. So you know. And yet, I don't like like even a, a percent of what uh, is you know is going on out there. I don't follow comic books. I don't follow comic book movies. I'm still in this Hong Kong Taiwanese sort of bubble. That's my geekdom, and has been for a while. It's gonna stay that way. Damn it. Uh, so, because um, uh, you know, it, 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 there's no use for me to go into the Marvel stuff. You know, I'm 12 movies behind. So, it's not like, where where do I start? Well, I don't know. Let let, let them let let them end it, and then I'll then I'll uh, uh, watch them if I'm sick for like a week or something. So, we'll do that. Uh, but at any rate, f- thank you very much, Paul, for uh, for that. And uh, I'm gonna ha- hand it over to you to do uh, your plugging. So, uh, Paul, where can they find uh, your podcast, and what is what is it called? Well, thank you having, for having me, guys, and and put with all my uh, geeky ranting and nonsense. And I do look forward to the rest of the series. I enjoy, you know, I enjoyed uh, all the series on uh, Lamb or Lame. And of course, uh, Mr. Alan Tam himself. So, what is it? What is it, Paul? Is it lamb or lame? I, I got to go with lamb. I just, you know, uh, my, if you if you asked if you asked my wife, it's lame all the way. She can't stand him. But um, you know, we are divided. Duke Lee is cool. And- <laughs> Duke Lee is cool, man. He's a vampire with a mustache. Ooh. No. Um, but I really enjoy the series and, and listening to you guys take, and I'm looking forward to uh, the rest on Eakin. As a fan of Eakin, I'll be curious to see what titles you guys are going to pull out of your hat. So thanks for including me on this uh, extra special episode. And you can find other stuff that I talk about and rant about and geek out about at concast.com. And the podcast is called East Screen, West Screen. So give us a listen if you have some time. He is lame, by the way. Just so you know, mathematically, that's my conclusion. But I like him, despite I kind of like him. (laughs) 
because I'm allowed to like what I like. And, you know, and uh, there, there is some stuff that I like. But mathematically, I'm on the side of Alan Tam, and I'm waiting for Alan Tam to do some stuff, damn it. But uh, he's, uh, he's uh, what was his last appearance? Uh, in the winner's biopic, a little uh, cameo, I suppose, as himself. Because I remember you guys talking of it, that, that the winners do appear. So I just assumed that they maybe cut to them in real life saying hi and then bye. No, I think that uh, they, they, there's some concert footage of their one of their big last concerts uh, at the end. But in terms of what well, I don't think that they're, they're not there in terms of uh, like cameo appearances specifically. So, yeah. I was thinking like they had Anthony directing it so it might be able to rope them in. And they, I know Alan and Kenny they like to uh, hang out together. They, sometimes, it's been a while now, but sometimes you, you got a notification like Kenny B is going on Facebook Live and it's him in a bar playing guitar and singing uh, Bee Gees songs with Valentine. It's like fantastic. <laughs> I love Facebook. <laughs> it's the best thing ever, man. So, uh, so they should do that because that, that makes me happy. Um, at any rate, um, Phil, your, your plugs, please, for your website, your writing, and your uh, external endeavors on the festival circuit and what have you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, isomfilmfans.co.uk, you can find us at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and all that good stuff. And yeah, yeah, we're going to, um, like I say, uh, we're going to tally up on the uh, uh, 100 greatest. Uh, Eastern film, so that would have come to uh, to an end, and I'll be reviewing those over the course of a year. Like I say, it's a big project. I've got some festivals coming up, so uh, the Far East, um, the Fighting Spirit Film Festival, is coming up soon, which they're going to show uh, Triple Threat as the uh, uh, are there, which would be great on the big screen. I've just reviewed that, and that's on site. And obviously, we've got some uh, some more um aching and aching to be to be looking at and obviously there's always irons in the fire and uh, interviews to be done so look out for that and um any uh, comments then um drop them by and uh, i look forward to reading them and we'll we'll carry on doing what we're doing which is love asian cinema that's what we do mm-hmm. so thank excellent. you excellent and for all your podcast on fire network needs go to podcastonfire.com and check out all relevant links uh, connected to this episode trailers and what have you and uh, relevant social media links uh, are available in the show post or at the top of the website as well so that's us done for this particular Ikin hour or Ikin 100 minutes or 90 minutes or whatever and uh, I've been Kennedy and with me was Phil G so say uh, goodbye buddy bye and honorary co-host and co-producer as was Phil uh, Paul Fox was with us so take us out buddy goodbye Mr. Cool I mean everybody <laughs> <laughs> spit your blood out Mr. Cool <laughs>